you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 11. John 11. We're closing out a series today called Can You See It? And we're talking about all the times in the gospel of John that Jesus gives sight, that he illuminates, that he opens the eyes of people who need it. And today we'll look at the story of Jesus opening the eyes of Lazarus by raising him from the dead. This is John 11, verses 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. The word of the Lord. The holiday of Easter kind of lives in this interesting tension where the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus or the story of death and resurrection in general is something that's very tangible, it's easy to understand, but at the same time, it, it's pretty unbelievable when you think about it. Have you ever taken a moment to think about what Christians really believe about Jesus, that Jesus was God in human flesh, that he walked the earth among his people, that he died for the sins of mankind, that he raised from the grave on Easter Sunday, that he ascended into the steps of heaven, that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that he rules and reigns eternally, and he grants eternal life to all who believe. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. It's so, it's a story that we believe. But we think about that question that Jesus asked Martha, but, but do you believe this? The Easter story is a story that is tangible and yet somehow also unbelievable. And we kind of live in that tension. It's a story that, that sounds so strange. And yet it's a story that sounds familiar at the same time. You know, I was thinking about the just how much the Easter story is woven into the fabric of our lives. When I was watching TV the other day, we were hooked on this show on Disney Plus called WandaVision. Have you seen that show? It's a Marvel show. Some of you love it. Some of you are like, eh, WandaVision, whatever. All right, so this is the show, WandaVision. It's a story that the premise is unbelievably crazy. Right? It's a, a woman with magic powers who is so grieving the loss of her dead husband that she re like resurrects him from the dead into a world that she has created for them to live in together in perfection. It's crazy. And yet, as I was thinking about the story, I'm like, hey, that's a lot like the story we talk about at church all the time, right? A God who is so grieved over the sin and death of mankind that he writes himself into the story to raise us from the dead and live with us, live with us in this kingdom eternally. It's a very similar story. I think in a lot of ways, the story of death and life after death, resurrection, is woven into everything. It's woven into literature, 
right? Whether you're watching WandaVision or reading the Harry Potter story, right? There's always this death and resurrection motif in tons of literature. We look at, maybe you're not a literature person. All right, look at Tom Brady's career, right? Death, resurrection, right? Look at Michael Jordan, retirement, resurrection. There's this idea of like this fascination with someone who disappears and comes back again. We talk about these stories and they draw us in. I was standing outside of the sunrise service this morning, looking at the trees, and a lot of our trees are just starting to get buds again and leaves again, and it reminds us that the story of life and death and resurrection is woven even into the seasons of our time, like everything in creation points to the fact that there's life, and then there's death, and then life reemerges again. It's woven into us, this resurrection story. And at the same time, it's pretty unbelievable. Sociologists tell us that we're living in the least religious era in American history. That less people believe in God than ever before. Less people go to church than ever before. It's good to see you guys today. Less people read the Bible, believe in the Bible than ever before. Most people say, no, no, no. I don't believe in all that stuff. I believe in what I can see, what I can test, what I can research, what's right in front of me. I believe in what's here, not something that's not here, that I cannot see. We've, becoming, we've become decreasingly aware of something beyond ourselves, the least religious generation. And at the same time, the scholars also tell us that belief in the afterlife is at an all-time high in our country. That while more people than ever before are believing that there's nothing more than what meets the eye, more people than ever before are also believing there has to be something more than just this life. There has to be life after death, whether it's reincarnation or a spiritual thing or physical, bodily, Christian, resurrection, whatever it is, there has to be an afterlife. This life cannot be all there is. We face that tension that these stories, this meta-narrative, this big story, it's, it's in us. We can't help but believe it. But we have a hard time believing it. And Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? You might be wondering why we're talking about the resurrection of Lazarus on Easter. You might be thinking, isn't there a more important person who raised from the dead than Lazarus that we might talk about on Easter? That's a fair question. And the reason that I want to talk about Lazarus today is not because he's more important than Jesus. I heard a pastor say one time, if anyone can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, believe anything he says, right? So that's Jesus. But in the story of Lazarus, what we get to see is Jesus' perspective of death and resurrection, right? We watch Jesus go through it. But in John chapter 11, we get to watch Jesus talk us through it and explain this concept of death and explain this concept of life and resurrection and his role in it. So we're going to look at John 11 today through the lens of what Jesus has to teach us about life and death and resurrection. If you're taking notes, I'm just giving you three things to write down. The first one is just two words. Write this down. Death stinks. Stinks. It's no good. Right, if you're a Bible scholar or a Bible nerd, whatever you want to call yourself, you might be thinking of the King James Version of John chapter 11 that literally says that Lazarus, what's the word? Stinketh, right? Lazarus stinketh. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more of that oh factor. Death stinks. It's terrible. Right? So many times, sociologists and biologists and different scientists try to help us to see that death's just a natural part of life. 
We just, you know, it's the life. It's the circle of life, right? It rules us all. That's how death works. It's, we should embrace death. It's the great beyond. The truth is death stinks. It stinks. I love this. This is Alan Watts. He's an English philosopher. He says this. He tries to put a silver lining on it. He says, congratulations, you're going to die. Liberation. No more bills and such. It's like, yay. I'll be dead, but at least I won't have a car payment. That stinks. I think this year, more than any other year, we've been faced with the reality and tragedy of death in our world. You know, at this point, I think more Americans died in the first year of COVID-19 than died in the first year of the plague of 1919. More Americans died in the first year of COVID-19 than all of the American troops lost in World War II. So many have died around us that most of us in this room or watching online have been touched by death this year. And we would all agree it's no good. This year has been an especially hard year, not just because of COVID, but for people who die in this COVID season. We've, I was talking to somebody just this morning on the way in who's got a loved one who is sick, who's facing quarantine, and she's isolated from the rest of her family. There are people who are sick and dying alone. All the things that we do in our world to bring dignity at the time of death and closure in death and face-to-face -face connection and love in the moments of someone's passing is gone out the window. It just feels like people around us are disappearing. I think most of us have been touched deeply and grievously by death in the last 12 months. So I'm preaching to the choir when I say that death stinks. Now Mary, or Martha, brings this concept up to Jesus in verse 21. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, scholars say she's not really being mad at Jesus. Most likely, she's just bringing this realization of truth. Like, Jesus, you showed up too late. You know, some of us have had those conversations with God. We pray and seek God's face, asking him to bring healing, asking him to bring help, asking him to bring life to a loved one, and then they pass. And we come to the Lord and say, God, if you showed up, they wouldn't have died. God, what's, you came too late. And what I love about the story of Lazarus, obviously, is it does not end in death. But even before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he takes time to experience the pain of death with the community. And if you are taking notes today and you wrote down death stinks, I'm gonna give you a couple more words to add at the end. Death stinks and God mourns with us. And sometimes it feels like we're just down here on this planet helpless and God is watching us all wither and die. Where a big part of the Easter story is that God, no, God came down to this world. He wept with his creation. He mourned the waywardness of his people. He lamented over Jerusalem. He died. He suffered with us. He was tempted like we were. He carried the burdens of this world. Death stinks and God mourns with us. And we see Jesus doing this in the passage later than the part that we read in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And one translator translated deeply moved in spirit and troubled as Jesus was gut-punched and angry 
And this was his posture towards death and suffering and dying. Have you ever felt that gut punch when something terrible happens? You get bad news on the phone. Somebody calls and says, so-and-so has this sickness or this death or cancer has come, whatever. You get that initial gut punched. Jesus experienced that. He was gut punched and he was angry. He was troubled. Something in him started to well up, not angry merely at the situation, but angry at death itself. We see that Jesus' response to the death of Lazarus was because the posture of God towards death was one of grief and deep lament and also fury. Death stinks, God mourns with us, and then we see that God, this is point number two, God has a plan to conquer death. He comes and reveals that plan to Martha. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha seems, she thinks she knows what he's talking about, because the Jewish people of those days knew that Jesus was one of those in the camp that believed in resurrection. Martha apparently also believed in resurrection. She knew, right? In the same way that we console ourselves. Someone dies, I'm going to see them again, right? I, my mom passed away several years ago, and we talked to our kids. They, someday we're going to see her again. There's something about resurrection we look forward to. Your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yes, Lord, I know. He'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. Someday Messiah will come. And when Messiah comes, he will enter into the city. He will raise the dead. We'll join together and start his kingdom. Yes, we look forward to that. There is life after death. But, but Jesus says, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not merely that God has a plan to conquer death. I'll give you two more words. God has a plan to conquer death right now, Jesus says. Not later. Your brother is not going to rise again in the last day. He's not going to rise again and go to heaven when he dies. Your brother's going to rise again in like a minute. That's about, it's about to happen. Jesus told the disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And I'm going down there to wake him up. God has a plan to conquer death right now. He says this to Martha. I am. Right? Anytime you see I am in John, right? Circle it, then highlight it, then bold it, then rip it out of your Bible, then circle it again, then tape it back in again. I am, for emphasis, I don't know. I am, I am, ego me, the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So do you believe this? hard to believe. She says, my, my plan for new life starts now. And some scholars say that, that one of the most remarkable things about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was not merely that he rose from the dead, but that what Jesus was promising was that a resurrection would happen to those who believe before the end times. There's something about Christianity that's different than every other religion in the world. We do not merely believe in life after death. We believe in life that starts the moment we believe in Jesus. And that's what he's trying to teach us in this passage. I'm coming to wake him up. Eternal life starts now. Right? There's nothing better in the Christian church than to experience new life that people, that people just step into in this world. We had this happen a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Nicodemus. Remember that sermon? 
Nicodemus is the one who's totally blind. And Jesus, he says, Jesus, we can see that you're a prophet. Jesus says, no, you can't. You need to be born again. He's like, what does that mean? He says, the spirit needs to come and give life to you. And it's this message that we're all blind until God gives us eyes to see. After the sermon, Pastor Mark was up in the balcony and this couple came out. And, and the husband goes to, to Mark Tyler and says, hey, why do you come to church? Mark's like, uh, <laughs> I work here. No, he said, I, I come to worship Jesus, right? He's like, are you doing all right? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm doing good. And so Mark says, well, what did you think about the sermon about Nicodemus? And the guy says, I loved it. I loved it. I'm wondering why you keep coming back because you get this. Mark is like, what do you mean? Do you feel like you've been born again? The guy's like, no way. Mark's like, well, do you want to be born again? The guy said, yeah, desperately. Mark's like, let's just go talk about it, right? So they go around the corner and Mark's kind of walking him through the, the Nicodemus story, the gospel presentation. The guy's like, I need new life. Mark's like, well, this is what Christians believe. He gives them something to believe. The guy's like, I believe that. Mark's like, let's pray. They pray. He finishes his prayer. He's like, I, I, feel, like, I feel like I get it for the first time. And Mark's like, what about your wife? Does she get it? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> he cared though. He did care. Because Mark's like, do you want to go talk to her? He's like, yeah, let's go. So then they go back to the balcony. His wife didn't see this whole thing happen. And they go back, taps her on the shoulder. And Mark's like, hey, tell your wife what just happened. He tells her. And then Mark's like, hey, have you been born again? She's like, I don't think so. He's like, do you want to? She's like, oh, my gosh, yes. It's like, okay, right? They go back around the corner. There's like a special prayer spot, I guess, on the stairs, right? They go back around the corner, right? Have the same conversation. Talk through the same concepts. Give her some words to understand faith. She's like, yes. Then she prays the Lord. She gets up from that prayer, her husband's arm around her. And it's like they got up and their eyes had been opened. They saw the world differently from that moment on. Mark says he's talking to him every day now. They're calling him on the phone. Mark, I just saw this thing today in the Bible. I saw this thing today in the world. I, saw, I feel like I'm seeing the world like I've never seen before. It's like they received life for the first time. And we talked in that Nicodemus sermon that all of us are physically alive and yet many of us are spiritually dead until God gifts life to us. And that's the promise of Jesus that God has a plan to bring life right now. He asked her that question, Martha, do you believe this? That's like the hardest question to ask, right? If you're talking to a friend or talking to a loved one or a parent, whatever, do you believe this stuff? It kind of puts Martha on this hinge, right? No, I'm not sure. Yes, I do, right? I might ask you, do you believe all this that we're talking about? And you might say, amen, yes. You might be like, I don't know. Martha's answer is pretty interesting because it's not the simple yes. She gives him more. In verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. That's a pretty well-formed answer especially from a woman who's grieving the death of her brother four days ago, but she just spits it out. Jesus, this is what I believe about you, your identity, your mission. Yes, I believe. And scholars look at Martha's response and they say, this sounds less like a basic answer and more like a creed, 
You know what a creed is? Like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Even the song we sang right before the message, we're saying all the things that we believe in liturgical form. These are the creeds of the faith. We believe these things about Jesus, that the Son of Man died, was buried, and on the third day rose again, right? That he is seated at the right hand of the Father. These are things that are part of our creeds. And Martha brings this well-formed statement about the identity of Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times we teach in churches like ours, and we will continue to teach this, that resurrection life begins the moment you believe. And that's true. But what we see in this story is something a little more deep and specific. And if you haven't written anything else down, just write this one down and we'll call it a day. Resurrection life begins the moment you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's the distinguishing factor. It's not resurrection just begins the moment you believe in resurrection. Or you get eternal life the moment you're like, yeah, 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 I think it's a thing. No, that's not how it works. Martha gives this creed, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Resurrection life begins the moment you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever lives by believing in me will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? You'll be wondering, why do we talk about Lazarus on Easter? You know, we talked a few weeks ago uh, about the Good Shepherd parable in John chapter 6. And one of the things that we noted was that early Christians clung to the imagery of Christ the Good Shepherd. You know, of all of the religious art in the first few centuries of the church, the most common picture of Jesus was Jesus as the Good Shepherd. You know what the second most common piece of art was? The raising of Lazarus. And here's a picture from some tombs in Rome in I think the third century these catacombs had this, this graph, graphic or images like it painted all over it. I saw one where there was actually a, an entombment in the wall, like this slit in the wall where they'd put a corpse. And around the corpse, uh, the slit for the corpse was this exact same image of the tomb of Lazarus, of Jesus calling him forth, of the crowd looking on, of God in the heavens looking down and bearing witness to the fact that Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead. They clung to this image. This was painted even more than the Easter image. Why? Because in the Lazarus story, we get to see what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does for us. And we get to see Christ risen from the dead on Easter Sunday, and we think the implications of this are outstanding, astonishing, And then we read the Lazarus story and we realize this is what the Easter story means for me. That someday, even though I die, I might be entombed in some tomb like that. I I will raise again at that last day. And though I have not yet died, I am living in this world. The moment I believe the life, the eternal life of Jesus welled up inside of me and became a spring of living water bubbling up towards eternal life. Resurrection starts now. And one of the pastors that has probably most influenced me that I quote all the time, you're probably sick of it, is a guy named Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. And, and Tim Keller over the last year, uh, last couple of months, was diagnosed with terminal cancer at age, I think, 69, something like that. 
And Keller just wrote an article in The Atlantic, which is not a Christian journal, The Atlantic a few weeks ago about what his pending death has meant for him as a pastor. He says, I've counseled hundreds of people about what it means about death and life and the afterlife, and now I'm wondering, can I take my own advice? Can I face death calm and serene? Because I know the resurrection is real. And this is what Keller said in The Atlantic. I encourage you to read this whole article and pass it along to your friends because it's great. He says this near the end of the article. He says, most particularly for me as a Christian, Jesus' costly love, death, and resurrection had become not just something I believed and filed away, but through this process of mourning his own death, he says, but a hope that sustained me all day. Keller says, I pray this prayer daily. Occasionally it electrifies, but ultimately it always calms. This is Keller's new daily prayer, knowing his death is imminent. It says, and as I lay down in sleep and rose this morning only by your grace, keep me in the joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens, I will someday know my final rising because Jesus Christ laid down in death for me and rose for my justification. I have a peace in my life. He says these last few months even, I've had a peace I've never had before because I've had to believe the gospel that I have new life in this world today and that I have new life waiting for me in the next. Whether you believe this or not, this is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. Even today, as we pray, maybe this is a chance for you who is far from God. Maybe you've never had your eyes open to these things, to pray that God would illuminate you to the truths of the scriptures about the resurrection story of Jesus Christ. May you see in the Lazarus story a picture of yourself when Jesus calls you from your tomb. So I want to read the end of the Lazarus story, then we're going to close in prayer. This is verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray. Let's ask God to do the same for us now and forever. Jesus, I resonate with this command, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because this is the command that you gave the moment we believed. Some people in this room came in wrapped in dead clothes. They're wrapped in beautiful Sunday Easter clothes but spiritually they are dead and bound and dying. And your resurrection brings life to all who believe. I pray for anyone who who needs life today, that they would turn to you and receive that life, 
They'd confess their sins, find you faithful to forgive those sins. They'd ask you for life and they would find new life welling up in them in that moment. That you'd replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That you'd give them new affections, a new outlook, a new lifted spirit, and a new confidence that this world is not their own and not their home. That they are awaiting a resurrection that will last forever. I pray for anyone who needs to hear that, believe that, pray that, that even in these next moments, they would turn to you and find healing. I pray for all of us that the resurrection story of Jesus would be so ingrained within us that it powers us day by day. Let this story never get too far from us. Never get, let it get too familiar to us. Never let it be so familiar to us that we forget the power of the one who died for our sins and rose to new life. Let us live in newness of life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We pray this in his name. Amen. Hey, well, on the way in, you probably got a communion cup with a little piece of bread on top. And as we sing this next song, if you are a believer in Jesus, this is a time for you to prepare that communion and we'll receive these elements together in just a few minutes. If you're not a believer, just spend this time and, and ask God to open your eyes to the truth of who he is and I'll come up and lead us in communion in just a couple minutes. So we'll prepare. If you're at home, you've got a few minutes to prepare and then we'll receive communion together.